Girls, the premier podcast that bring Percy Jackson at all to Bembos by Bembos. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I am fellow Bimbo Janie. I like this new intro a lot. I'm I'm very glad I wrote it just for us. <laughs> Nobody else can have this intro. We have uh we finished the book. With the, yeah, in a, a surprisingly short amount of time. Yeah, it only took six episodes mm-hmm. uh, uh, from behind the curtain. We've been working on this since like January, I think. Yeah. But I'm I'm really excited that we finally finished this book. And I feel like we're going to like, I'm excited to jump into the rest of the series. For sure. There's, there's like, there's a lot that this book sets up for like the next couple of books. Yes. But we'll, we can uh, get into that. And yeah, and and we're gonna do the. I don't know if we said this, but after this episode, we're going to have a special movie episode. We are. Uh, we're going to be bringing on uh, a guest for that. Yes, a special surprise guest. Who is very well known, I think. Let's get right into it because we've got some stuff to talk about. So it might be a long one or it might be a short one. Who knows? Probably a long one. Probably. Why don't you, Jane, give us the summaries? Okay. Chapter 20. I battle my jerk relative. Percy, Annabeth, and Grover are fished out of the sea by the Coast Guard and put back on dry land as Los Angeles falls into chaos. They frantically theorize about what all of the revelations from the underworld could mean, and ultimately conclude that Ares, not Hades, has been the god behind this whole thing. Right on cue, Ares shows up and reveals that yes, he was the mastermind all along. The backpack he gave Percy was the sheath for the Master Bolt, which, like Percy's sword, can summon the weapon on demand. Ares dumped the bolt in Percy's bag while the gang was in the underworld, and between that and stealing Hades' Helm of Darkness, anticipates that a three-way war will soon break out between the gods. However, when Percy questions why Ares would give up a weapon as powerful as the Master Bolt, he hesitates and asks himself the same question. But the doubt soon vanishes and he tells Percy that he has to kill him. After a botched attempt to kill him with a wild boar, Ares decides that he's willing to flout the rules against direct intervention with humans and kill Percy himself. After a brief huddle with Annabeth and Grover, Percy duels Ares and promptly gets his ass kicked. During the fight, a bunch of police officers and bystanders, who think Ares has a gun, show up to watch. While Ares is distracted by this, Percy uses the nearby ocean to smash Ares with a wall of water before getting inside his guard and slicing his ankle open. Ares backs off, swears bloody vengeance against Percy, and vanishes, leaving the Master Bolt and the Helm behind. The Furies then appear and explain that they saw the whole fight and now realise that Percy wasn't at fault. Percy returns the helm to them, and then tells Grover and Annabeth that they need to fly back to New York by tonight, Zeus's wrath be damned, to return the bolt. Chapter 21. I settle my tab. After the fight, Percy is completely exonerated in the eyes of the media, as his fight with Ares has convinced everyone that every fucked up thing that he was involved with was actually due to being kidnapped and coerced by the mysterious biker dude who kidnapped him, who Percy then engaged in a 1v1 gun battle on the beach. Percy claims that Gabe will be happy to give free electronics from his store to every person in LA before boarding a plane with Annabeth and Grover to New York. Despite some turbulence, Zeus apparently decides not to blow up the gang's plane, and at the airport in New York, Percy sends his friends to Camp Halfblood to explain the situation to Chiron. 
Meanwhile, he goes to Olympus to confront Zeus himself. After a brief argument with a security guard at the ground floor of the Empire State Building, Percy is allowed to ascend to the seat of the gods, which turns out to be a giant chunk of mountain hovering over New York City, covered in palaces, cities, and markets. Percy makes his way to the palace at the very peak of the mountain, where he finds the twelve thrones of the gods, arranged in the same way as the cabins at Camp Half-Blood. Only Poseidon and Zeus are present. Percy explains the situation to them, and in return for the bolt, Zeus offers not to murder Percy on the spot. We also learn that Kronos, Lord of the Titans, must have been the one behind this plot. Zeus then leaves Percy and Poseidon alone, who have an awkward conversation that ends with Poseidon offering Percy a mysterious choice. Something to do with a package that will be on his bed when he gets home. He also tells Percy that, in exchange for the Helm of Darkness, Hades has returned his mother, and she's now back at home. Percy leaves Olympus, heads to his apartment, and sure enough, his mother is there. They have a tearful reunion, which is cut short by Gabe being a huge asshole. While this is happening, Percy realises that Gabe has been hitting his mother, and he comes within a moment of drawing Riptide, but ultimately decides not to. He and his mother go to his room, where he finds the package Poseidon told him about. It's the same one he sent to Olympus almost a week earlier, the one with Medusa's head inside it. Percy offers to use it to kill Gabe, but Sally refuses, saying she can't just let supernatural beings, even ones who are part of her family, solve her problems for her. She and Percy agree that she'll keep Medusa in case she wants to use it on Gabe, and that they'll wait to decide if Percy should go back to school or stay at Camp Half-Blood full-time. With that done, Percy leaves the apartment to return to the camp. Chapter 22. The Prophecy Comes True Percy, Annabeth, and Grover are hailed as heroes when they get back to camp. The entire camp is ecstatic about their success, except for Ares' cabin, Mr. D, and, strangely, Luke. A little while after the festivities, Percy receives a letter from his mother, explaining that she sold a mysterious sculpture that looks exactly like Gabe to an art gallery, and made enough money to get a new apartment and pay for a year of tuition at New York University. She's also put a deposit down on a spot for Percy at a new school in case he decides to come back. It's the 4th of July! The campers all go out to see a fireworks display, and, during the event, Grover appears with his newly acquired searcher's license, and tells Percy and Annabeth that he's going to go off searching for Pan. The trio have a tearful goodbye, and even though satyrs who go searching for Pan have a pretty bad track record of dying, Percy and Annabeth are confident that Grover's physical and emotional growth will give him a fighting chance. As July goes on, Percy gets back into camp activities, becoming better and more skilled at all the stuff he was screwing up before. It should be great, but he feels uneasy about the looming decision about where to stay for the rest of the year, and he also worries that one line of the prophecy remains unresolved. You shall be betrayed by one who calls you friend. On the day that Percy has to make his decision, he decides to do some sword training to clear his head. When he arrives at the pit, he sees Luke demolish a bunch of training dummies with unnecessary venom. Percy goes over to him, and Luke shows him his new sword, Backbiter, the blade of which is half celestial bronze, half steel, to allow it to kill both monsters and mortals. When Percy asks him where he got it, Luke dodges the question, before inviting Percy into the woods with him. As they walk, Luke becomes increasingly erratic, until they sit down in a clearing together. Luke explains how bitter he feels at being trapped in Camp Half-Blood and how his only foray out into the world since he arrived was a boring rehash of a quest Hercules did. He then tells Percy that he'll be leaving again soon, before summoning a lethally dangerous scorpion and villain monologuing at Percy while the scorpion holds him still. Percy realises that the betrayer the Oracle warned him about was Luke, who tells Percy that Kronos has been whispering to him in his dreams, 
telling him to help him destroy Western civilization and bring about a new golden age, where humanity will cower in caves except for Kronos' strongest servants. Luke was the one who nabbed the helm and the master bolt from Olympus on the solstice, intending at first to deliver them to Kronos directly, before being cornered by Ares. Kronos then told Luke how to convince Ares to get in on the plan, which is how he ended up wrapped up in the plot. Luke then returned to Camp Halfblood, where he was told to wait for Percy and set him up to take the fall for everything. He summoned the Hellhound, which spooked Chiron to make him send Percy on the quest, and then gave him the flying shoes, which were of course programmed to take Percy straight into Tartarus and to meet Kronos. It would have worked if he hadn't given them to Grover. Luke then teleports away, leaving Percy to get stung by the scorpion. He kills the bug and then manages to run to the forest nymphs before collapsing as the poison shuts his nervous system down. Percy wakes up a few hours later in the medical centre in the big house, with Chiron and Annabeth. He tells them what happened, and while Annabeth is shocked, Chiron seems grimly nonplussed. Percy then guesses that the prophecy that the Oracle gave Chiron predicted something like this, but Chiron replies that he's not allowed to talk about it. Chiron then reminds Percy that he needs to make a decision on whether he's staying at the camp or not, and leaves for an appointment at Olympus. Percy tells Annabeth that he's not sure he wants to go, since he'd be ditching her with the Ares kids. But she tells him that she's gotten in touch with their family again, and is going to try and reconnect with them. The two of them agree that next year, they'll both come back to camp, and demand to be sent after Luke. And if they can't get an official quest, they'll sneak off and do it themselves. Finally, Percy starts to pack his things, so he can head home too. So, what did you think of the chapters? God, what a great ending! Yeah! This book ruled. I loved it so much. I there's there there's a reason why I adored this when I was younger, and I adore this now. This this was a perfect ending. It's always so gratifying to learn that the um, opinions you held as a child aren't actually cringe in retrospect. Some yeah. of them are justified. <laughs> Some of my cringe opinions are real, and I'm so happy for that. Uh, what did you think? Uh, I also thought it was, it's a really solid conclusion. I like the stuff that it leaves hanging for the next books in the series. I do think there's a few things that made me go... Ugh. There, there's, you know, there's always a little bit of going on in this book so We're back far. in Camp Half-Blood. The crypto-fascist stuff does, does kind of sneak back in. But you know, apart a from that, bit. really great. It's it's not as bad. There's no like explicit like the age of the West stuff. Hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. I I have opinions. Yeah. Okay. So let's. What, what should we start with? What should we start with? I mean, I think first off, we do need to kind of recant something that I remember saying uh, in I think I believe the previous episode. Yes. Where we were like, oh yeah, we love how uh, kind of quick and brutal the fight scenes are. No long, drawn-out sword fights. That would be crap. Yeah, but this this was a long sword fight, but it was good. Exactly. We were fools. Yeah, and the reason it's good is because it's not just like... Like we were saying last episode, it's not like... Percy draws his sword, he swings his sword, and Ares blocks it with his sword. Ares swings his sword, and Percy blocks it with his shield. I don't know, like, some boring stuff. It's cool, yeah. because they're doing other stuff, too. Yeah, like, we get to see how Percy's power has grown as he, like, uses the ocean to back him up. 
I would say that, like, this is the culmination of, like, all the, like, cool superpower stuff that Percy has, like, slowly been learning to do throughout the book that really, like, probably appeals to a lot of kids. Oh, for sure. This is, this is power fantasy shit. I also think at the top of that chapter, like, I think one of the things that we liked about the early chapters was, um, like, Percy's palpable sense of grief when his, um, yes. his mother died. And we get that again, um, like, as they get fished out of the ocean by the Coast Guard, like, he is clearly, like, broken. <laughs> because he he got within touching distance of getting his mother back, and then it didn't happen. Yeah, Percy is... This is a, a kid who has been through way too much. Mm-hmm. And it's not like... And it shows. It's it's not like just like brushed off or anything. It's not like put to the side. It's he's internalizing it and like it's showing in his actions and his words and everything. And I know that's like one oh one stuff, but there's also a lot of bad books out there that don't do that. There's a lot of bad books. I am like as a slight peek behind the curtain, I'm like at school at a creative writing course at the minute. And every yes. week I do need to read like like my classmates work and often like my own work where like we will just miss like really basic shit that like any any baby book should do it's good that this book cares about itself mhm yeah it doesn't it doesn't think that like oh it's cringy that we're I'm writing about this stuff it's it's not like oh i this is it's not embarrassed by itself it takes itself and its character seriously. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, like, we even see, like, the direct um, consequences of this, like, immediately afterwards, because I don't know if it's explicit, but I feel like a big part of the reason why, um, like, Percy decides, uh, fuck it, I'm going to have a sword fight with the war god, is because he's just, like, completely fed up of being pushed around and having his fate determined by the gods who's politicking, you know, did lead to his mother getting taken from him in the first place. Yeah, like, he's obviously, like, he's like done being pushed around. Mm-hmm. Which shows in the next couple chapters, too. And... Yeah. But I think even... Not more so, but alongside that, we've... I guess it's kind of dark, but Percy has, like, shown a lot of, I guess, just tendencies of just, like, I should just die. Who cares anymore? There is a little bit of that, yeah. So it kind of feels like this is also the culmination of like him basically saying, I'm going to try to do this, and if I die, so what? Mm-hmm. Something might happen here, and if it does, who cares? I might get whacked into the sun by this literal god, but yeah. I am still going to try and stab him in the face. Yeah. No, that that final boss, the Ares final boss encounter was very cool. Yeah, like his his sunglasses were melting off his face. That's such a cool detail. I love that. Yes, uh, I love a one v one on a beach. I also love like like just before the fight starts that moment where Ares like stops and thinks, "Wait, yeah, why did I give up?" the best weapon I could ever get my hands on. Like, it's it's almost creepy how his, like, entire demeanor completely shifts to, like, being completely unsure of himself 
it's just it's a really unsettling look at what Cronus's control looks like. Yeah, that's one of those moments that kind of peels back the mask of the story mm-hmm. and shows us like there is so much more at play here than we thought. Exactly. And that pays off really well with Luke too. Mm-hmm. Although before we get to Luke, I do want to say those those cops got there and the TV news crews and whatever mm-hmm. and saw Ares and Percy dueling with guns. Like, they they saw them loading into like a 1v1 first person shooter map and like this is, bouncing around the beach and shooting at each other. It's uh, this is like what happens at the end of like a I assume what happens at the end of any Fortnite game. A little bit. Percy Jackson had stolen a gun from his capture in Los Angeles and battled him shotgun to rifle on the beach. God. Like what the fuck? <laughs> I think, and I think what makes this battle really good is that Percy doesn't like, he wins basically, but he doesn't like, he doesn't like do it through his own power and skill of a, as a 12 year old. Yeah, he doesn't have like a huge burst of energy because he's angry or something and that's enough to overpower Ares. Yeah, the most that he gets is, like, he gets some good hits in with some, like, clever moves that he thought of. Mm-hmm. And Percy is, like, showing more and more that he is a clever kid. Yeah, as, like, that continues in the uh, next chapter. But yeah, it's building on, like, the stuff from the uh, waterbed shop. Again, I think, like, he's learned from the encounter with Echidna that he can't just brute force his way through these things. He has to think about it. Yeah, and that's really important. And also... Uh, probably, I don't know, it's probably another one of those like little little tidbits for the kids. You can't just use strength to do everything. You have to be smart, too. Yeah. Um, and I think the battle ending with, like, a mysterious interference. Like, this is a perfect, this is a perfect wrestling match ending for this kind <laughs> of wrestling match. <laughs> My favorite kind of wrestling match where a giant biker dude with burning sunglasses just beats the shit out of a 12-year-old boy. I've seen a few of those. <laughs> what do you think of the way that this like battle is construed in like the media? Uh, it's completely insane, but like that's fine. Like the the everything to do with the media has been unhinged for this entire book. Yeah. Like mm, the Percy Jackson like crazy murder boy was like the biggest news in the country for a while there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting how like tightly the like I guess the news wraps themselves around like Percy Jackson kidnapping a victim so immediately. I can't tell if it's just like if it's just like a way to wrap that plot point up or if it is like Rick going for some kind of like oh the media kind of commentary. I think there's at least a little bit of that. Like I think, I think there is, about yeah. how, it's very like, sensationalized. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot. Like, there's the all the gay Barbara Walter stuff. There's mm-hmm. the many news reports they see. When you have something show up so deliberately so many times, you're trying to make some kind of point about it. True, yeah. Uh, I want to, like, talk about, like, there's the two paragraphs in a row that have one thing that I don't like and then one thing that I do like. Okay. Uh, which is... Um, when Percy, Annabeth, and Grover get to New York, 
and uh, like Percy sends them away to um, like talk to Chiron and make sure that he knows what happened so that he can go to Mount Olympus. I think uh-huh. that's like that's a good storytelling decision, but I don't think it's like executed very well. Like it feels very rushed because it just happens in the space of one paragraph with no dialogue. It's just Percy telling us what happened. It kind of makes the it, it's a different pace than what we've seen so far, and I can understand it. Like you want to wrap the book up, mm-hmm. but it does kind of like when I was reading it, I was kind of like, did I skip something? Did you know? Yeah, it was weird. Like some stuff has been truncated before, but that's that's always felt like just like incidental detail stuff that needs to be gotten out of the way. This is the first time I think it's felt like, oh, there's like wasted potential here. Like this could have been yeah. a bit of a tearjerker scene. Yeah, and we kind of get, I don't, we kind of get tearjerkers later on. We do. But uh, this could have been, this could have, this did have a better potential than it quite mm-hmm. got. And I, but I, you know, it's, I guess once in a while when you're juggling, when you're juggling glass balls, one of them will eventually shatter. It's true, yeah. It it just happens sometimes. Uh, the thing that I like in the next chapter is uh, Percy Donkey on Harry Potter. He is one of us. <laughs> Percy Jackson, come on, wise girls. <laughs> I would uh, I would argue this is a uh, Percy Jackson is not cishet moment of the week. I think so. He hates Harry Potter. It was the thing where he's already said or whatever. Well, uh, da, 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 da. He was reading a huge book with a picture of a wizard on the front. I wasn't much into fantasy, but the book must have been good because the guard took a while to look up. So it's not like, it's not Percy Jackson saying, fuck Harry Potter, but it does feel like a bit of a swipe at it, which I quite like. It's, I, I feel like, hmm, just from that, it does kind of feel like a like a fun cultural reference. Like, oh, here's one of my like peers yeah. or like whatever. It's maybe it's not Rick going for it, but like in the context that we have now, it feels like Percy going for it, the character. Yeah, if nowadays nowadays when you hear someone be like, "Oh, I saw some kid with a wizard uh, scarf or whatever," then you're like, "Oh yeah, they're dunking on Harry Potter." Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked that. Uh, that was really funny. Like uh, a, a funny little like entrance into olympus yeah the little exchange Wait. he has with the guards yeah um he's like hey he, he, he percy's like hey, hey uh can i go to olympus please and the guard is like what are you talking about kid get out of here <laughs> and percy's like i i have zeus's master bolt and the guard is like he's like he's like oh god am i just talking to some mortal <laughs> like <laughs> He's gonna he's gonna think I'm crazy murder boy. The guard has to close his copy of Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. He's like, Are you serious? That's <laughs> epic. I'll let you up. <laughs> I really there's a little detail that like really jumped out at me while he was going up to Olympus. Yeah. Which is like he gets in the elevator and it starts playing raindrops keep falling on my head. <laughs> which is just that's so surreal. I just it makes everything feel that much more ridiculous, and I love it. Yeah, there's. I love how much like humor this part is treated with because mm-hmm. it could be played very seriously, and I think that would have been a bit overmuch. There's look, it's a floating mountain. You cannot go grim dark fantasy here. Yeah, I mean, I guess they can like be like, but that that would veer into the territory of like. 
Percy accidentally crumbled a part of the mountain and part of it falls down and oh it falls on a pedestrian's head or something like but no it's not that kind of thing mm-hmm. this is this is this is funny mountain in the sky this is weird funny no- floating rock nobody can see it because they are all they all have their head in the not in the clouds that's not right <laughs> if they had their head in the clouds then they would be seeing it but they, they just painted the bottom of the mountain blue <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if a detail like that did come up. <laughs> uh, then we meet Poseidon and Zeus. We we sure do. I love the descriptions of them. I I love it so much. Like all the gods in this book have such a you big unique presence. Mm-hmm. Even like on Olympus, uh like Zeus and Poseidon are both so different, even though they're both kind of the same thing. I think one of the really cool things that like like with the exception of Hades, like the gods who have to interact with the mortal realm have like this um they have like this really cool balance in their designs where like they do look plausibly like mortals, but they are still like so distinctive and there are still so many details about them that you can pick out to be like Okay, this is what this one looks like. That's what it like represents to their kind of powers. It's just really like evocative uh, descriptions. Yeah, like Dionysus's like wine aura and mm-hmm. Ares like nuclear eyes, but they're both like regular people for mm-hmm. the most part. Otherwise, and then. We get like Zeus on his huge throne and suit and Poseidon in his like fishing chair. Just chilling. He's he is simply chilling there and he is like <laughs> he I don't know, Poseidon is so funny in here. I don't know. <laughs> he Percy's first like meeting with his dad follows perfectly from the story. It's not like joyous and it's not like super sad just like uncomfortable Mm -hmm. as it would be yeah like percy kind of tries to be polite to his dad who he's never known poseidon like his dad is like yeah i did kind of ditch you huh yeah poseidon says something that hurts percy on accident makes like an awkward joke it's all very realistic Mm mm-hmm and I'm really glad that, like, I think this is the moment where I did need to, to- like, hone in on the, like, realistic feelings of the situation. And I'm glad it did. Mm-hmm. I also, like, for Zeus, I really love, like, like, because the description of him is, like, so powerful. You know, he's got, like, his solid platinum throne and he's, like, huge and intimidating and has this suit on. And it contrasts so well with how like burnt out and exhausted Percy is. And it just it makes the whole scene like really tense. Yeah, because like it feels like he's in, in like a courtroom or something. Mm-hmm. And he just showed up with like his like like his like lycra shorts and his li- lycra, is that right? Huh? Never mind. He just showed up with like his like uh like his sports shorts and his like t-shirt and he's like i hello i'm here to pay my parking ticket and the judge throws him out like it feels like that kind of thing that would happen 
And it turns out the place he was parked was the judge's driveway. Huh? Huh? You said something about a driveway? You know what? It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I like how even though like the bolt is back, Zeus is still like, don't fly though. I've I've just written here, Zeus is such a wanker. <laughs> Yeah, like <laughs> Percy brought the Percy brought the bolt back for him, and he's still like a jerk. Hey, I found this thing that got stolen off you through no fault of my own, and Zeus's offer is cool. In exchange for you doing this, I won't kill you. Yeah, I won't kill you unless you ever get in an airplane, and in that case, I will kill you. Also, once I get back from the bathroom, if you're still here, I'll kill you. God. <laughs> This is a funny. That's exactly what Dionysus said to him earlier. I guess. Kind of. <laughs> this is just. All, this is just what the gods do. I think. Yeah, it's maybe this is just like how this just like doesn't translate well from ancient Greek. This is like a very common thing to say. Mm-hmm. Poseidon at one point is like, tells Percy like, "Your mother was a queen among women." Simp. And. And Zeus pops his head back in to say, if she breathes, she's a thought. <laughs> uh, that's how that's how the war starts. That's how the war starts. Oh, God. Kronos is Voldemort. Kronos uh, is like a... <laughs> okay, let's compare and contrast. <laughs> to, to be clear, I'm not saying this in like a broad, like the characters are the same thing. I mean, literally... I'm talking about Percy says his name and then everything just kind of gets darker. And everyone's that's like, why would you say that? That's true. And we have heard a few like instances of that already of like, if mm-hmm. you say like a monster or God's name, they will be like more powerful or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think in this specific instance, the comparison to that is actually kind of applicable there's one secret main antagonist who's different from the antagonist we thought there would be. Mm-hmm. And they're actually being controlled by an even greater antagonist who's going to run throughout the entire series. Yeah, it is like the exact same role that Voldemort initially occupied. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to get like Kronos and his Tootsies just like tromping <laughs> around the graveyard. But. <sighs> They could just, like, get the Tozy Wozies on their own out of Tartarus. I really feel like Hades is going to turn out to be, like, the stealth, like, good good ally of the series. I think so. Because, like, like we've just seen Zeus being a, like, weapons-grade dick to Percy. And then we turn right around and Hades is like, well, I don't like you and you kind of fucked up my house, but you gave me back my hat, so I do need to repay you in kind for that. Hades was so much nicer to, to Percy than Zeus was. <laughs> Even while threatening to like unleash the dead upon the earth. It's true. Okay, first I want to talk a little bit about Percy's like descent from the mountain. Mm-hmm. Because as he's going down, he's like... He's he says this thing about how everybody around him kneels to him as if he was some kind of hero. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the exact quote. I've got to open. It's like Percy, you are a hero, but but he doesn't feel like it. He doesn't feel like it because his dad didn't know how to use a rubber. No, absolutely not. I mean, yeah, you're right, but 
Oh, God. It, it nearly made... I don't know. It's like, I just want him to... And then he gets back to his house, and Sally is there, and... It's 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 such a nice reunion. It's so nice. I was in tears. I just I I, I also cried a little bit. What a what a good reunion. I I was so happy to see her back. And it, I guess it adds what you said before about like maybe Hades isn't so bad after all if he mm-hmm. sent you know if he sent his mom back. I suppose we need to talk about Gabe now. I do want to talk about this. Do you have any thoughts up front? I'm kind of torn on this. On like the way this chapter goes for him, uh huh. Because I kind of feel like, even though there there is obviously like there's the turning point where it feels like he becomes less of a cartoon character, he still feels like a bit caricatured. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for like, sure. He feels like what what your idea of oh um, abusive stepdad would be from watching like a bunch of TV. That's that's true for sure. Uh, I. I, I did still like it, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I I mean, it's definitely, like, it's a good scene. And I'm not even necessarily saying that it's, like, a bad thing that is written this way. I'm just like, is this, a, is this good? Is this okay? He is, like, a character who, at this point, he is fully a character who does not matter. He's not a character. Oh, absolutely. He, he is a, he is a, like, function. He, he is may as well a, be a uh, garden ornament. He's a garden ornament. He's a sexy lamp. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean, though. <laughs> I do. Yeah. He's uh, he's he's he he serves a role in the story and has no character beyond that. And I think that's like largely okay for this kind of book. Like, yeah. I don't really. I kind of do, but I don't fully expect like a super nuanced. And we do get kind of a nuanced view on this, even. Mm-hmm. But. I don't expect like a full in depth exploration of like the character of Gabe. Yeah, like I'm I'm a little eh, on like his actual character, but in terms of like what he does for the story, in terms of like um, like keeping that theme going of grounding the um, like the supernatural stuff with the more like human family drama, he serves that function really well. Exactly, and along with that, like there's a point in the story, and you mentioned this in your summary. Where Percy realizes, like, the extent of how abusive the Gabe is. Mm -hmm. Not, and, like, like, towards Sally. Like, not just towards... Because it's kind of ambiguous whether Gabe has ever, like, physically, like, hurt Percy. Yeah. Uh, But he realized, sort of, the Gabe has hit Sally before. Mm -hmm. Um, And... And then he's given the decision to change things, but like it kind of like on a whim in like a reckless way, like, like a God would do. Absolutely. Yeah. I think he even says like, this is how, um, that's what a Greek hero would do in the stories. I thought. Yeah. Instead of like making a dis- he Yeah. And, like, this is something that affects him, but ultimately he realizes, like, it hasn't quite affected him in the same way. This is, I think, a thing that a lot of people do realize when they're, like, in situations of, like, abuse and, like, a household, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, like realizing how it affects people differently within the house. And, and, like, basically what I mean to say is that, like, Percy is given the decision to make a, like, all-encompassing, all-encompassing judgment on behalf of other people 
Mm-hmm. And instead, he empowers Sally. Yeah, I really like how this goes. Yeah, it's, it's it, beautiful, it, kind of. It also means that, like, Sally, who has, who was kind of fridged for the, a lot of this book, like, I don't think you can deny that that's what happened. It means that yeah. she, like, she is not just a woman who has to be saved. She gets her own agency and she gets to make her own decision on it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, like, I think it's really important to be able to, like, show that, like, sometimes, like, maybe an adult in your life will feel powerless to fate in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know, things can change. Things can have, I don't know. Um, it It was really good. And I think what I wasn't expecting to, I wasn't expecting the decision she made, for sure. Yeah, I Although was... I, it may, it makes sense. I was just a little taken aback at how quickly and brutally it happened. Yeah, because like what happens is that like we we we're like he gives her the Medusa head and she's like, I'll use this if I ever, you know, feel like I need to. And then like by next chapter, the final chapter in the book, she's Percy gets like a postcard or something from her is like, look at my new statue. Two pages. Gabe gets to live two pages. <laughs> Ah, and that's about as long as he deserves to. It's true. There is there's a, there's a couple of like weird little details in these couple of pages that I just wanted to talk about. Yeah. The first one um, is uh, just at the end of this chapter. We listen to the sound of poker chips, swearing, and ESPN from the living room. Now uh-huh. we we talked in like one of the first episodes about how the localized copy of this removed ESPN. Oh from, yeah, like, a scene, and uh, in in the um, intervening uh, weeks, uh, one of our uh, patrons, Erica, uh, actually mentioned in the official Unwise Girls Discord server, which you can find linked on our Twitter, uh, that the ESPN thing is probably because in the US the books are published by Disney, so it's like a branding thing for them. So, like, there's no reason for it to be in the UK copy. But then I find it really bizarre that it was left in in this this last chapter. Yeah, it seems like a, I guess, a localization mistake. Mm -hmm. Or, like, an inconsistency. Like, they, I think it would make, people generally, I feel like ESPN is a pretty well-known thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, a kid reading so, this, like, if I was reading this as a kid, I would just assume, okay, some weird American sports channel. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I can understand either taking it out fully or, like, not taking it out at all. But uh, it's it's weird that it, they just don't remove it the second time. I think the editor just kind of gave up, is yeah, my theory, because they were pretty sloppy throughout this whole thing. I certainly don't blame them. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's not something you're ever going to notice unless you're in the extremely specific situation of reading it side by side with someone who is reading the American version. Yeah, unless you're too, unless you are a Percy Jackson podcaster <laughs> who is and each podcaster is reading two different like copies of the book. Well, you're reading one copy. I do have two copies still for some reason. Yeah. I also have a, I'm sorry, I just I have a quick question about like how you know what I have I have two things. I'll be very quick about them, I swear. Go on, go on. Okay, they're both to do with Gabe being turned into a statue. Uh-huh. Uh one is that um by this book's logic, uh Medusa was Poseidon's girlfriend. Yes. It's kind of fucked up that he just like took her head and mailed it to his son. 
Uh, that's a bizarre thing to do with your ex. That's that's a bizarre activity. That's a good, kind of a weird thing to do. I assume uh, that was just like a consequence of Rick had to change Medusa's backstory for her chapter and then didn't really think about it beyond that. Yeah, Medusa is not a character. I mean, Medusa is not like a person anymore. She is just a funny monster. Mm-hmm. Which is weird when part of the conceit of this book is that like the monsters are people, but then they're actually kind of, I don't know, it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, did Sally kill all of Gabe's friends? Oh. Because the, because... the sculpture is titled The Poker Player, so presumably he looks like he's playing poker in it. Maybe she, like, statuified the table too? Possibly? I'm not saying that's supposed to be, like, the extremely fucked up implication. I just think it's just, it's just again, like, a small oversight that produces some weird implications. I, I wonder. Maybe he maybe he was just holding poker cards or something like that. <laughs> he was holding some Yu-Gi-Oh cards, but when they're turned into stone, you can't tell. <laughs> Gabe would play Yu-Gi-Oh. Oof, that, that hurts. <laughs> I play Yu-Gi-Oh, don't worry, don't worry. It's true. Oh god, okay. Uh, should we talk about the final chapter? Yes, yes we should. I've been talking uh, for a while, you say something. <laughs> I certainly will. Uh, the area... <laughs> okay. Okay, Jane. <laughs> okay, if you say so, I'll say something, alright. Um, okay, cool. Thank you, I'm really glad um, that you give me this platform to speak. So, Percy gets back to Cam, and he, like, finds out that they've been, like, making, like, a funeral plan for him. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really funny. It's incredibly good. And I like, yeah, the the punchline of this is the, the shroud that the Ares cabin made for him. Yeah, like, okay. We we get, the, we obviously, like at this point, the Ares cabin, who were kind of the, like, ugh, the Slytherin or whatever of the, yeah. you know, you know what I mean to say. They were the evil kids. <laughs> but I like that, like, they hate Percy even more now, but... It, that just manifests as them like calling him a smelly loser. <laughs> it, it's it, it's extremely funny. Like this is how kids book e- evil people are. It's true. I guess you could you could also say it's like it emphasizes how much more like worldly uh, Percy is now because he just fought their dad and he tried to kill Percy. And then he gets back, and his asshole kids just made, like, a shitty burial shroud for him. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, I guess, is, like, a good reminder that, like, the things he did out there were not, like, isolated. Mm-hmm. Like, he literally lives with these people's children. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds, like, a little bit like hell, but, you know. Yeah. No, to be fair, in that in that series that will remain nameless... The potential of that idea was never explored at all, so... No, I, th- I think Rick's not. in the clear to do it. Of course, of course. Uh, okay. Do you want to tell us about the fireworks show? Uh, honestly, I didn't have a lot written down for the fireworks show, apart from rockets the size of Patriot missiles is a very funny description. Then you oh, must you have missed... Like, the, the tearful goodbye bit. No, I'm talking about the fireworks. Oh, when okay. we when we when we see 
one of the fireworks is shaped like George Washington crossing the Delaware. Oh god, fuck yeah, no, I did. I just turned the page, I do have the underlined with just fuck off. <laughs> and not only that, but dear listeners, dear listeners, George Washington was a son of Athena. <laughs> Rick. Oh, Rick. Why are you doing this to us, Rick? Wait. Okay, no, uh, hang on. Thomas Jefferson uh-huh. and Washington have come up now. Which Where's... god's kid is Alexander Hamilton? <laughs> Hamilton is... Oh, Christ. Um, uh, <laughs> that just gave me a headache to even try to think about. Uh, okay, listen... We don't have time to do our, uh, like, Hamilton character classbacks. Next time we'll do those. I We don't have time for Hamilton discourse, and thank God. And thank God. <sighs> the Luke reveal, though. Oh, this is so good. His, like, his obvious anger. His wicked new sword backbiter. Backbiter is such a good, like, idea for, like, a villain weapon. I thought that, like, Anaclismos, Riptide, was, like, a really cool name, but mm-hmm. Backbiter is, like, such a good villain sword name. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, it's such a good red flag as well, because we've just had Percy have, like, his, like, almost, like, character-defining moment of, no, I can't just fuck around with the lives of mortals, that's not right, even if it is to help someone. And then Luke is out here with a sword specifically designed to kill mortals. Yeah, we saw, like, we saw Percy try to kill a mortal with a sword in a few (laughs) chapters ago. That's true, he did do that. Like, he pulled the sword on the kids who tried to mug him outside of Krusty's shop. Mm-hmm. And if he had been using Backbiter, that would have, like, sliced right through them. Hmm. Actually, hang on a second. Uh-huh. If you, like, slice a mortal with the celestial bronze bit of Backbiter, is it just, like, hitting them with a flat bit of metal? Because just, like, uh, the back half of the steel bit will just hit them. I'm not sure. I feel like it would just, like... My guess was that it would just, like, pass right through them or something. Mm-hmm. I don't really know, though. So Luke invites Percy into the woods. Yeah. <laughs> Percy. Come on, I thought you were the clever one. It it does... It feels a bit like Lenny leading George into the woods. <laughs> <laughs> what a reference. Uh, <laughs> the, yeah, um... And, okay. We get Luke's big villain speech. Mm-hmm. And it's really good, of course. Mm-hmm. Primarily uh, because I hmm. think, well, okay, I, tell okay, me, tell I, me. no, no, you, you go. I, this is the part that I have thoughts about. I have some thoughts about it too, but I think on the level of like Luke's character motivations, oh, it absolutely, makes sense. yeah. From from that perspective, this is just like absolutely everything you would want from the twist villain reveal. Yes. Can I guess what it is that you're kind of on the fence about, though? Because I think I know. Go, go for it. Is it the part where he talks about the world being on, like, a bad path? Yes. So, Luke's idea is that he wants to, like, end the Age of the West and start a new, like, golden age with Kronos in charge. 
which will destroy all of human progress and all like science and society and just leave people cowering in caves like hiding from Kronos's strongest servants and it just like i don't know it feels icky it does feel kind of icky like it feels I mean, it feels icky on multiple levels it feels like weird it's weird because it's like he's he's a little bit right insofar as like the world is on an untenable path that is going to destroy itself he is absolutely correct that their precious western civilization is a disease that's killing the world but he does kind of meet it in a fascist way yeah <laughs> so that's what kind of makes it like like he's like he's blessed being like you know capitalism is actually destroying the environment everybody's gonna die pretty soon He's he's being more like the degradation of Western society. Yeah. And like, I, think, I think we were... Sorry, you go. I think we were hoodwinked by calling uh, Chiron a fascist. <laughs> I, think, I think the real one was here all along. This was the other thing I wanted to mention, which is I don't know if I'm like reading way too much into this children's book. Uh-huh. But I feel like this is the part where you can really feel that this was written like five years after 9-11. Yes. Or it feels like the conflict being presented is between the West and quote-unquote barbarity. Yes, extremely so. This is a book with that is so, like, it is, the foundation of it is this, like, and I guess this is one of my big points about the, about the book as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's got this foundation of this in it. This inherent, like, I guess, like, liberal belief that the American world is largely just. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we get that with, like, we just had George Washington being revealed as a demigod. Yeah, there are a lot of, like, oblique, like, taken as a given, like, references to history that are, like, these great American men. Mm-hmm. And, and outside of the America being largely just save for threats by those outside who want to bring the order down. Mm -hmm. So it's, that is a very like, like chauvinistic view of the world, obviously. Yeah. I don't think we should ignore that. And I, we haven't really been ignoring that, but I think we should make it a point to like, not ignore that or like talk about it when it comes up. Absolutely. Yeah. Because not only is that a key to like, it looks like that's going to be a key to the, to the main antagonist of the series. Yeah, that like this is this is the conflict of the rest of the books as it's set up here. Maybe hopefully that changes a little bit to like be a bit more something better, but cuz there are there are flashes of Rick being like a little bit more critical of this idea of western civilization. Like Luke makes like a couple of like genuinely valid points, like the thing about the environment and the thing he also mentions about the idea of like you know, the the kids are going on quests that are just rehashes of previous ones because the gods are stagnating, they haven't really evolved to like fit with the times. They're still like very much set in their ways. So like that that's also I'm hoping that, that develops into something a bit more like solid. This feels okay, and I hate to bring it here. This feels like a legend of core thing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because like we have our protagonist here who is like kind of like a I don't know, like a neutral figure who is mm-hmm. being hounded by like the um people who want to change things. 
and they're evil and they do really evil things, but also maybe they have a few points to learn from that we might implement or might not. Listen, listen, she, uh, Percy might not like Gotham City and Bane may be correct that all those people are locked up unjustly, but he does also have a nuclear bomb. So he can't be that right. Yeah, it's because like, it's really interesting. The idea that like, the idea that like everybody is rehashing these same old myths. So because, because they're like, stuck in this like traditionalist like trap or mm-hmm. whatever like the they gods saw like... the top of a mountain and moved it across the ocean yeah yeah they are there is obviously like stagnation here mm-hmm. there is like an unchangingness that is not good really and absolutely we, we've talked a lot about like how, how the environment and like, in, I guess environmentalism is talked about in this book. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's one of those things that keeps popping up. So it's interesting that it's also one of the villains motivations. That's true. Yeah. So it makes you think that maybe like, maybe there will be a more like rounded viewpoint on this, like the antagonist's motivations. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know though. It's one of those things where like, I don't think we agree with like the politics of it, but it make a it makes like regardless of that, it does make for like a good conflict for the series going forward. Yeah, and b there is room for it to develop into something slightly more palatable, which I think is something that we have to keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think that that might actually be my like largest criticism of this book as a whole. Hmm. Which I'm kind of glad for. Like that's kind of a milk toast criticism. This book written in two thousand and five is like <laughs> up its own ass about this certain topic. Like that. That's kind of like yeah. Of course it is. Well, I, I don't know because I feel like a lot of the discussion about the Percy Jackson series, especially since Harry Potter is like completely nosedived in like public perception, has been like, oh, this series is much better. It's not got all the like stinky like. Uh, horrible politics that J.K. Rowling does. And to be fair, this isn't anywhere near as bad. But yeah. I feel like it's worth examining that assertion and uh, talking about it. Of course, yeah. And I... And... Yeah, we're going... And we'll definitely, like... This is one of our things now. We're gonna put this on watch. We've... Yeah, we've we've named episodes after this. This is... I suspect going to become a running theme. Uh-huh. I... So I guess we can talk about our more general... We've kind of already started doing it. We can talk about our more general thoughts on the book as a whole now. Wait, hang on. There is... Uh, there's one thing I want to call out that's related to this, and then I feel like we do need to get... Well, I guess we can tie it back to our general thoughts about the book where we talk about the ending. Go on, go on. Which is just... The cherry on top of all this crap that we just discussed is the line uh, from Percy. I didn't want to lie in bed like an invalid while Luke was out there planning to destroy the Western world. that's that's really kind of that's really kind of it isn't it that one dealt me a lot of psychic damage if i'm honest yeah especially for a book that has been like we were a little cagey about this at first but i think like overall this book has like a really positive um view of like neurodivergence and like disability disability yeah and it's kind of weird that right at the end percy's like i don't want to be an invalid 
it's weird it's not mm-hmm. great come on let's okay on on three we must say it at the same time three on... wait oh I, I did it in the wrong order <laughs> <laughs> okay on three we'll say it at the same time three come, come on, on rick ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but yeah, uh, you you were hinting at like big wrap up thoughts that you wanted to have. This is a good book. It is. It is. We've we've trashed it a little bit for the last couple of minutes, but this is overall a good book. This is a good children's book. It's it's well rounded in how like it ranges from like average to very good. Definitely. It's it's weird how little there is to complain about. Honestly. Yeah. Like, we have to read way too much into the politics of this children's book to <laughs> find something to go on yeah. about for, like, 20 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's easy to imagine how this is, like, I guess the start of, like, a huge novellic universe, and I guess now a media franchise. Mm-hmm. Like, this is obviously written in, like... This isn't a book, like, that was written... And got really popular, and then they're like, "Hey, write fourteen more of these." Oh yeah, he's he's setting himself up for a sequel. Yeah, but like this this book's own emotional arc is solid enough that I'm like, I'm okay with that. You cut, you earned this. It's not like one of those books where it's like, well, you know, read the sequel if you want the payoff for like, if you want the payoff for everyone's arcs and stuff. We got payoff for everyone's arcs. Mm-hmm. The three most important characters, Percy, Annabeth, and Grover, all got their own little, like, nice wrap-ups. Mm. Like, like the like Grover's character arc throughout was, like, his the whole thing with Pan, and then at the end, he leaves for his journey with Pan. Mm. Yeah. Annabeth, we talked a lot about, like, Annabeth's character and, like, her stuff, their family, and... We a- we actually see at the end that she goes and she's gonna try to like see if things will change. Yeah, the like I also think it's a really nice touch that this is not like oh, it didn't work once, but this is the like second chance that they're giving it. Like this has gone wrong multiple times, but Annabeth is like she's still willing to try. Yeah, and it says a lot about like her persistence and strength of character. If there's one thing throughout this book that I have realized, it is that Annabeth rules. Oh, absolutely. I'm very glad that uh, we named our podcast after her, kind of. Yeah, even though it's made me bad for SEO. We did We did have to do some SEO optimization today. Yeah, it turns out that we didn't have the words Percy Jackson anywhere in the description, so nobody could find us if they wanted to look for a Percy Jackson podcast. Yeah, if you, if you searched Percy Jackson podcast on Spotify, we literally did not appear. Yeah. We do now, though, so that's good. We do. Recommend us to your friends. Okay, so... Please. <laughs> yeah, I... Other than, like, a lot of references to history that kids would probably know, mm-hmm. but, like, aren't really a commentary on them, or, like, or aren't used as commentary on themes, or really on characters, but kind of just as aesthetic? Yeah. This is something I noticed a lot, but it's, like, I think that goes along a lot with, like, the kind of view that we talked about before. Yeah, I feel like, I think I mentioned this when we talked about, like, the Hitler and Napoleon thing. Like, I just don't think that Rick, like, reads a lot of history books. I don't think so. Um, I think, 
I mean, he's like he's like a teacher, right? I you know, no he idea. might be a history teacher. I'm. Let me check. If he's a history teacher, there's no excuse for this. Ryerdon was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. Graduated from the music program. Wanted to be a guitarist. Transferred to the University of Texas Austin, and studied English and history, and received his teaching certification in both of those. That is the sound of me writing a call out post. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Rick. Come on, Rick. I guess we don't need, I mean, we kind of need, I don't know. I'm of two minds about it. Like, maybe it would be a little bit intrusive to have, like, like larger, like, historic, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I'm not I, sure. I would say if you don't have room to add the nuance, don't put it in. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Oh, this is kind of off topic, but oh. we did talk uh, a while ago about, like, I'd read, like, a Rick Riordan mystery novel if there was one. Oh? I guess there he did write a mystery series. I don't know if they're, like, detective novels, but it looks like there is he does have some stuff there. Huh. I'm sure we'll we'll probably get to that eventually. Yeah. 1997's Big, Big Red Tequila. Interesting. Um... Wait, he wrote that in 1997, or that's... Yes. Huh. Okay, that sounds really interesting, actually. Yeah, we'll, we'll look into that. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's not racist. Please. <laughs> okay, so... Um, when okay. Ja Jacqueline was talking before about um, Percy Jackson, book series, now media franchise. Uh, any good media franchise needs, like, a website. I feel like I'm leading into a Squarespace sponsorship. I'm not. <laughs> Um, I found while I was poking around on the official Percy Jackson movie Twitter a link to their website. Oh God! Which I I don't know if it's still run by like Twentieth Century Fox or anything, or if it's been like hollowed out and sold to someone else. But it's like it's yeah, been hijacked. Yeah, how sure are we that this is actually an official this. bit? It's is linked in their Twitter bio. I guess so. PercyJacksonTheMovie.com takes you to a website plastered with, like, Percy Jackson movie promotion uh, and various pitches to make a Percy Jackson movie, but with a shitload of gambling in it. Yeah, okay, we have to talk about this. This is so weird. It's completely bizarre. I have... <laughs> it's the best Let's... thing I've ever found. <laughs> yeah, the the first thing you you see... On all these pages is that tagline. It's mainly based on <laughs> fantasies. They're fantasies, but it's like trying to make them come real as well. What? I would just say like, okay, this this site was probably just like not put together by like a native English speaker. But there's, I don't know, some parts of it feel like they were written by someone who speaks English really well. I almost wonder if this is like some bizarre AI generated like scam. The it might be okay. So under the main section, there's a part that says glamour, lifestyle, and adventures. Can you read for us the glamour section? The movie has some of the hottest stars in Hollywood. In terms of glamour, this movie can really set the bars a bit high. And that's it. <laughs> in the lifestyle section, it says a lot of things can be adapted to our everyday lives. The movie teaches a lot, which could make our lives much better. 
Now, I'm positive that these two are, like, just filler, so that they can, like, sneak in the next one with, like, a satisfying rule of three payoff. Uh-huh. And this is this this segment is, like, a nice little segue to our next episode, <laughs> which will be about the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be like this. Can you read Adventures for us? The adventures that Percy takes in the movie are really great. We especially love the part where we see the whole squad entering the Lotus Casino and playing craps, with the song Poker Face in the background. Unfortunately, during COVID pandemic, we can only play casinos online. But if you want to sign up for a new casino, make sure you check this guide first. And the guide links to online-casino-guide.s3-website-west-one.amazonnaws.com. They are, they are way uh, more powerful in their search engine optimization game than we are. And below the description that you just read is uh, an embed of the Percy Jackson Lotus Casino scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, now, here's the part that I'm most bewildered by. Okay. Do... There's a section right below for the fans mm-hmm. that just has... I don't know how to describe this. <laughs> it's like it's like it a biography like, of Percy. No. Above oh. that it has it has oh. a per, like percentage bars. Yeah, what the fuck are these? These are like So they they okay, so here are the percentages. I guess on the Percy Jackson movie it says Olympian series 45% Book series role, 67%. Novel series, 74%. Characters, 50%. Unique roles, 66%. Fantasy roles, 74%. Now, you may be wondering what those are, like, percentages of. Uh, and the answer is, we don't know either. The answer is that everyone should know. That Percy Jackson is a kind of film that can cater to all kinds of audiences. It has everything to meet the expectations of the people, and no one will be disappointed in any aspect. For instance, here are some of the aspects. 44% adventure films, 65% action films, 78% fantasy films, 84% family roles. I, I feel like this bit is just, like, this is more filler, right? They just I... made made some, like, st- statistics that looked kind of normal if you just scroll past them without reading them. Yeah, um, because then we get we get to like the biography of Percy Jackson, which I think is my favorite thing on this website. Please tell us about it. It's broken into three headings: Percy Jackson, fictional character. Uh huh. Logan Lerman has given life to a fictional character by exp- by expediting his amazing acting skills. It almost felt like Percy really existed. Uh huh. Which. Already a completely bizarre way to talk about someone just playing a normal movie role. And then the next one is Heroic Son. He might be brave, he might be strong, and he might be blessed. But more than anything, Percy is a brave son who would risk his own life for his mother. Which I guess is true. And I guess means that, like, whoever designed this bizarre shitfest of a website has, like, at least watched the movie. Yeah, I'm sure they've watched the movie. But then, I really love this next bit. Uh, hero of Olympus. It is very much apt for Percy to be called as the hero of Olympus. He has done everything and he has all the qualities what a hero would have. 
After all, he launched a successful business in the middle of the pandemic. And this link, there is a link, <laughs> successful business, links you to onlinecasinos-australia.com. <laughs> Excuse me? I'm looking forward to this bit of the, the later books where Percy sets up an online casino. Yeah. And and then we can't we can't read through all of these. That's this like a bunch of weird blog posts. We'll have to like get to these blog posts. There are like one, two, five. There are eight of them. I feel like we can get a whole segment out of the um the movie pitches. Here are a, a couple of the names that I will <laughs> I will I will say to people just to get them excited for future segments. If Percy Jackson was a gambling movie, manuscript ideas. <laughs> there is so much here. Everything about this is baffling on so many levels. Like, why are these people so invested in taking like a media franchise that I would say, like outside of the books, has been pretty thoroughly dead for a few years, and turning it into like a weird gambling series? Yeah, I. Oh my, yeah. I we can't also I did just check with and this does have sea of monster spoilers so we can't quite go into it yet. Oh. But I there's so much stuff. Why are they why do they have all these weird shady links? <laughs> like I is this an did like 20th century fox like sell the website or did like the domain expire and someone else bought it? Let's go to the contact us page. Let's see okay, what's there. Okay, I this I feel like is standing on the precipice of something truly dark and terrifying. Uh-huh. Because to contact them, you need to enter first name, last name, email, website. Yeah. And I feel like www. if this is... Sorry. www.unwisegirls.tumblr.com <laughs> Oh, shit, did you set up the Tumblr? Uh, yeah, I did. There's nothing on it, though. Follow the Tumblr so that when we start to post content on it, it... You will see it. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I feel like th it could be a funny goof to contact them. They could also be some bizarre, like, mob-funded tax avoidance scheme or something. That's my worry, is that yeah. this is like a casino mob. And we and maybe that... don't want to fuck with them. <laughs> yeah, they will send their, like, hit demigods after us. <laughs> A squad of highly trained hit wizards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's, maybe we should wrap it up after Let's... we do our questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we were sent some uh, questions by some wonderful patrons this week. Uh-huh. Thank you, everyone. First question from friend of, from friend of the show, Brie, from Dear of the Show, Brie. Mm -hmm. Hi, Jacqueline. Hi, Janie. Writing in this week to ask for this famous, popular, beloved question segment. Which characters would be really into Boundary, or if you think it's more applicable, Idol Games? Thanks for the funny podcast about people with feet. <laughs> I mean, Chiron doesn't have feet, he has hooves. <sighs> Next question. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jane... Brie, your, your question was incorrect, so we had to just throw it out. No, it's your fault, Jane. What? How is this my fault? <laughs> it's your fault for talking about, the, talking about his hooves again. <laughs> You're constantly sending me messages about Chiron's hooves, and I'm getting tired of it. <laughs> I feel like the Chiron piss bucket is more egregious, but okay. 
Uh, what questions do you have for us? Uh, so I, I've been sent in a couple of questions uh, by Erica, uh, another friend of the show. Uh, she sent in at least one question that I can't read on air. Is that uh, which goddess has the most... Yes, yes it is. <laughs> okay, I'll bleep that out then. Thank you. Um, so, question one. What is Percy's favorite game that was released around when the book came out? Do you have an answer for this? Because I do. Uh, so I, I'm not completely across what books were coming out in like 2005, what well, games were coming out 2005, 2006. I feel like it would have to be, at his age, like Halo 2. Here... Here are my here are my answers. Okay. Here are Percy Jackson's top five video games of the year. Okay. Number one, Resident Evil Four. <laughs> Number two, Guitar Hero. Oh, because he I think he even like made mention that he like played some kind of music game while he was in the Lotus Casino. I might I be completely so, wrong yeah. about that, but I feel like. And also, in that case, we can probably pencil in Percy as being into, like, Bandery. Uh, probably, yeah. That's that's what trans people like, right? It's, uh, uh, you know what? It's an excellent point. <laughs> number three. You've gone from four to two to three. Number... <laughs> <laughs> Is that... No, I said Resident Evil 4. Okay, but then after that, you did go to number two. Yeah, because that was num- Resident Evil 4 was number one. Oh, okay. Wait, I no. You need to do the the top five list from like the bottom up to keep people in suspense okay. about what his favorite game will be. Percy Jackson's top five games. Number three will make you kiss a girl. Will make you set up a weird gambling website. Number five, Resident Evil Four. Percy loves action games, and he especially loves shooting zombies. Uh, number four, Guitar Hero. Percy's a famous lover of music games. Number three. <laughs> Number three is Call of Duty 2. Okay. <laughs> Percy Jackson and, and also I think Sally and Percy both play like Call of Duty together. You know, you know, that's actually kind of sweet. <laughs> Number two. Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Sally is actually against him having that one. Yes, but he plays it anyway. Number one, God of War, 2005. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my uh, god, he fights Ares and everything. Yes. We also have a question from Erica. If Camp Half-Blood was like Rhyme City from Detective Pikachu, what would the major character's partner in Pokemon be? Um, I feel like Grover is Percy's Pokemon. <laughs> oh god, I... Yeah... <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. I think Percy, it'd be really cute if Percy had like a Piplup. That's what I was thinking. Either a Piplup or like maybe a Mudkip. Maybe. I, I like the idea of Mudkip too. Mm-hmm. Although if there's like a specifically like ocean one, maybe that'd be like. Uh, Maril, uh, I believe it's called. There's like this little round blue mouse one. That's like a water type and can also go like let you ride on its back in the ocean. Jane, please, I know Meryl. Please. If anyone knows Meryl, I know Meryl. <laughs> Annabeth's partner would be like it'd be a Psyduck. <laughs> <laughs> See, for some reason I was thinking like I don't remember what it's called. It's like the bird from Sword and Shield with like the really heavy brows and like the leak in the shield. 
Oh, surfetched. Yeah, I I don't know. I have absolutely no justification for this. I just feel like Annabelle would get Annabeth would get along really well with that Pokemon. I could see her having a far fetched or a surfetched. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe like a fighting type Pokemon. Like maybe she would have like a little Ryolu. Oh yeah, because she is kind of all about like battle and being a hero and etc. So that would actually make a lot of sense. Yeah. Grover's partner Pokemon would be. Um... I feel like maybe a Wooloo. I know goats and sheep are not the same thing, but that's also like. It's like very naturey. I think it's like a grass type, and you find it out in the countryside. Maybe so. Maybe like a. I mean, there is. Uh, Wait, no, it's normal type. Never mind. There's go goat, right? Go goat. Go goat is like a literal grass go-goat's goat. Bizarre adventure. Oh yeah, there it. Yeah, no, you're right. That's it. <laughs> there is no other option. That has to be it. Yeah. Okay. So we've decided. Percy is Meryl. Annabeth is uh, Ryolu and wait what? Grover... <laughs> wait, did we say something? What did we, what did we say for Annabeth? We we were going between Surfetched or Psyduck. Oh, I thought we. Oh, I thought we said fighting type. I don't know why. Oh no, wait, we did. Never mind. Uh, Gr- Annabeth has a lot of part Pokemon. If they're she Pokemon trainers, if they're Pokemon trainers and not just like Rhyme City people, mm-hmm. Annabeth would have. Farfetch'd, which would, I think, then evolve into Surfetch'd. She would have Ryolu. She would have uh, Psyduck. She would have... Oh, and Psyduck would be, like, a gift to her from Percy. Oh, that's cute. Aww. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the next question. Uh, yeah, this is, this is the last one. Uh, this is on the, the border. Don't send us questions like this anymore. <laughs> you can, but I will call you out for it. In the canon of Percy Jackson, which god is the most likely to introduce himself to someone's parents with the line, your daughter calls me daddy too? Athena. <laughs> uh, I have I, can... I have a much worse answer. What? Uh, which is, I feel like it jives much more with like, specifically the canon of Percy Jackson. Yes. Which is, Ares has absolutely said to Zeus, your daughter calls me daddy too. Oh my god. Wait. But Aphrodite isn't Zeus's daughter. Wait, is he not? Is she not? Uh, no. Wait. They're like cousins. Oh no! Yeah, she she was like Kronos's bulls or something. Something. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, I don't know if she was Kronos's bulls or like the Kronos's dads. I don't remember. She was someone's bulls. Is the important part. Yeah, that's that's very important. Aphrodite is. Uh, Trans goddess. Absolutely. Queen. Stan. Also, I, uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to all the children of Aphrodite in the book who were like harassing the uh, guard at the camp to like load all their clothes and like make up into the back of a van to take to the airport. They are iconic. Is, they are, they deserve everything. It's true. Oh, that's all of our questions for this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the progression of the podcast going forward. Basically, what we're going to do, we're going to finish the first five books, the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series. Then after that, we're not going to go straight to Heroes of Olympus. What we're going to do is first read the Kane Chronicles, Mm -hmm. um, which, if you don't know, is like, it's kind of like Percy Jackson, but with like uh, Egyptian gods and uh, wizards. Oh, Christ. But like cool sorcerers and not like Harry Potter wizards. 
Okay, I didn't I didn't actually know anything about the Kane Chronicles before you said that just then. And uh-huh. given a lot of what we've just talked about, I feel like stepping into an arena that's mostly like Egyptian mythology is gonna be a minefield. It might be. I know I know a, a good bit about like Egyptian stuff, but mm-hmm. mythology wise, but I'm I'm interested to see how it'll go. Same. Then after that, we're going to head back to Percy Jackson for the Heroes of Olympus series. Mm-hmm. Then after we finish those five books, we're going to be reading the Magnus Chase and the Gods of Asgard series. Because if there's one thing that modern pop culture doesn't have enough of, it's the Norse gods. That's exactly right. Um, I don't. I've never read any of those books, so I'm excited to get into that one very much. So, and then after we finish those, we'll be going to read the final Camp Half Blood Chronicles series, Trials of Apollo. Mm-hmm. And then our podcast will probably be over unless Rick really releases like new books in the meantime that are, you know, about yeah. stuff. I assume I'm going to cover like the um, Disney Plus series if it comes out like during the podcast, right? Probably, yeah. Um, will the it'll either be like on the main episodes or like bonus episode content? I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's way so. out, so we we have time to decide on that. For sure, I think that'll do it for us today. Hell yeah! If you'd like to reach the show, you can drop us an email at unwisegirlspod at gmail or find us on Twitter at UnwiseGirls, where we also have a link to our official Discord server. If you like us, you can support us by continuing to download our episodes, maybe leaving a nice rating and review for the algorithms. And please. checking out, please, uh, we care about you, and if you care about us, if you don't hate us, please leave us a nice review. <laughs> and uh, checking out our Patreon. For $1 a month, you we uh, for the low, low price of $1 a month, you get a special row on our Discord, marking you as a camp counselor. For $3 a month, you get an even special role as a friend of Dionysus and access to all of, all of our bonus content. If you're feeling especially generous, for $5, you get the specialist role of Aphrodite's Chosen, all the bonus content, and shoutouts at the end of our episodes. Hell yeah. Uh, thank you to all of our current patrons. We're usually just going to list off uh, $5 patrons, but since it's our first one, we can thank everyone, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, huge thanks to uh, Mercy, Bree, Erica, and what have you done to your name? It's so long that I can't actually read it. I'm curious. What, what, I'm going to go and see. What is it? What is it? It just says friend of the. Friend of I, the. Thank you, friend of the. I can't is tell it, if this is, is like being cut off. It is Veronica. Okay, thank you, Veronica. Thank you, Veronica. I don't know. I If you were trying to do a goof there, it hasn't worked. I'm sorry. Unfortunately. Thank you, friend of the, uh, friend of the show, Veronica. Yeah. And as we always say at the end of every episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Mm-hmm.